The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January 15, 1929. If he were alive today, he would be 84 years old. Instead, he was tragically assassinated on April 4, 1968, at the far too young an age of 39. But his words, his deeds, his dream live on. And our nation has reserved the third Monday of each January as a reminder and an invitation to continue turning dreams into deeds. In the almost 45 years since his death, there have been many occasions in which King's dream has become more fully a reality. And this morning we're here to celebrate one of those times. The media regularly reminds us of the many problems in our world and the political gridlock that often inhibits that process. But when love wins, when peace prevails, when the marginalized are included, we need to pause and savor that moment. Much work still cries out to be done for immigration justice, for marriage equality, and for many other issues from gun control to the death penalty. But together we have made landmark tangible progress in this past election, and that is more than enough reason to celebrate. To reconnect us to the moment that we are celebrating, consider the following excerpt from an article in the Washington Post, posted, uh, published on November 7th, the morning after the election. By the time the polls closed Tuesday, Maryland voters had done something unprecedented. Twice. They narrowly approved one ballot measure allowing same-sex marriage, and they gave broad approval to another that extends in-state college tuition rates to some undocumented immigrants. No similar measures in which majorities conferred rights to minorities had ever been enacted by a public vote in any state. Such victories embolden future efforts in Maryland and other states, as well as action on the federal level. This morning, I'd like to say a few words about the victory for marriage equality and then a few words about the DREAM Act. With the passage of Question 6 in Maryland, same-sex marriage has become legal to celebrate in this and other sanctuaries across this state starting on January 4, 2013. Happy New Year. And I've already had two different same-sex couples contact me about officiating at weddings for them in coming months. Part of our joy is also that Maine and Washington passed similar measures. As the president of the UU Association, Peter Morales, said in the wake of the election, these victories, along with the defeat of discriminatory anti-marriage amendments in Minnesota, clearly indicate that more and more Americans realize that the freedom to marry strengthens families, protects children, and ensures the basic rights of citizenship for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender citizens. On a related note of inclusion, the citizens of Wisconsin elected our nation's first openly lesbian senator, Tammy Baldwin. More recently, headlines proclaimed, some of you may have seen these, that the Washington National Cathedral, the seat of the Episcopal Church, one of the world's largest cathedrals, and the host of the official prayer service for the presidential inauguration, has decided to start hosting same-sex weddings as well. So we have a little bit of competition for venue. (laughs) Our congregation has for many years been part of the Unitarian Universalist Association's welcoming congregation program to promote and celebrate the inclusion of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender members. 
And if I understood the, the statistics correctly in a speech that I heard recently from the director of the Multicultural Ministries of the Unitarian Universalist Association, two-thirds of all UU congregations in the world are officially welcoming to LGBT members. And there's at least one welcoming UU congregation in each U.S. state. That's a remarkable witness for inclusion. And we should celebrate the ways that multiculturalism and inclusivity are increasingly valued in our wider culture. Turning our focus to question four on the DREAM Act, the main focus of this summer's annual UU General Assembly, which this year was, this past year was hosted in Phoenix, it was on immigration justice. And as I reflect back on what I learned during that week in June, one of the points that still stands out to me most starkly is a keynote speaker who said, the U.S. immigration system is not just broken. It was very much in part designed to be difficult. And another speaker particularly drove home to me the urgency of passing a more humane immigration system with a quote from the Holocaust survivor and Nobel laureate Elie Wiesel on the importance of not using the term illegal immigrant. Wiesel has said, do not use that term illegal to refer to immigrants because there is no such thing as an illegal human being. You may have broken an immigration law, in this case, actually a misdemeanor, but that does not make you an illegal person. That's as if you had been stopped for speeding and given a ticket. Does that make you an illegal driver now? There's no such thing as an illegal human being, and it is a dangerous term to use. The, the Nazis declared the Jews to be an illegal people, and that was the beginning of the Holocaust. As we look to the future, and as um, President Barack Obama prepares to set the agenda for his second term in office, Peter Morales, who is the first Latino president of the UU Unitarian Universalist Association, has recently written the following as his personal recommendation of where we should go for here from here in pursuing immigration justice. Immigration policy reform should uphold family unity as a priority in immigration policy. Create a process for undocumented immigrants to earn their legal status and eventual citizenship. Protect workers and provide efficient channels of entry for new migrant workers. Facilitate immigration integration, restore due process protection and reform detention um, policies, and align the enforcement of immigration laws with humanitarian values. During the potluck celebration to follow, we'll hear some from some of our local partner organizations about how we can become more involved on the local, state, and national level, but uh, on the national level specifically, the um, the Unitarian Universalist Association has signed the, there's an organization called the Interfaith Immigration Coalition, and we've signed on to their interfaith platform on humane immigration policy. So if you're interested in learning more about that, I'll include a link to that website, that organization, that statement in the manuscript version of the sermon, which will be posted on our website. Now, I don't know if the DREAM Act was intentionally meant to allude to Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. Technically, the DREAM Act is an acronym for Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors. But in my understanding of King's legacy, his dream, he actually said this in his I Have a Dream speech, this dream is deeply rooted in the American dream. 
And to me, that dream of MLKs that was deeply rooted in the American dream, that extends naturally in the 21st century to include a more hopeful future for the children of undocumented workers. And as President Obama prepares um, to take the oath of office tomorrow on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and on not one but two Bibles, uh, one owned by Martin Luther King Jr. and one by Abraham Lincoln, I was glad to see that immigration reform is reported to be on the administration's agenda. Now, speaking of President Lincoln, how many of you have seen the film Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis? Okay, a fair amount of you. Now, I realize that a good bit of artistic license was taken with that film, but how many of you would like to see President Obama begin his second inaugural address after taking that oath on Lincoln's Bible by saying, I am the President of the United States, clothed with immense power. You will procure me those votes. (laughs) If you haven't seen the film, you'll, you'll get it when you see it. But then the question becomes, how to set your priority of which votes we want to procure and for what? And I suspect that some of you are here this morning mostly to celebrate the victory for the DREAM Act. Others of you may be here mostly to celebrate the victory for marriage equality. Still others of you may be here to celebrate both, or perhaps you had no idea that you were walking into a celebration this morning. Similarly, I mentioned earlier that there's important work to be done in the coming months on gun control legislation and on repealing the death penalty in Maryland. But I realize that we may not all be in agreement about how best to move forward regarding those various issues. Part of the good news, at least for this morning, is that Unitarian Universalism has a strong tradition of both a free pulpit and free pews or free tables. In other words, I'm free to say whatever, the, whatever I feel called to responsibly say from this pulpit, but you're free also to go along with my words only to the extent that your conscience allows. But my hope is that there is an extent to which we can all be here this morning, not only in the sense of politics makes strange bedfellows, or the minimal sense of building coalitions strategically, I hope that there's a sense in which we can all be here in the more robust sense that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote about in his letter from a Birmingham jail, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I spoke earlier about this past summer's UU General Assembly in Phoenix on immigration justice, but on the eve of MLK Day, I want to invite us to reflect on the wisdom that King may have to offer us for today by looking back at the 1966 UU General Assembly, which was in Hollywood, Florida. At that General Assembly, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the keynote speaker. Part of his advice that day to the gathered Unitarian Universalists was, don't sleep through the revolution. To illustrate his point, he said the following, I'm sure that each of you has read that arresting little story from the pen of Washington Irving entitled Rip Van Winkle. One thing we usually remember about the story of Rip Rip Van Winkle is that he slept for 20 years. But there's another point in that story which is almost always completely overlooked. It is the sign on the inn of the little town on the Hudson from which Rip went up into the mountains for his long sleep. When he went up, the sign had a picture of King George III of England. When he came down, the sign had a picture of George Washington, the first president 
of the United States. When Rip Van Winkle looked up at the picture of George Washington, he was amazed. He was completely lost. He knew not who he was. This incident reveals to us that the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not merely that he slept for 20 years, but that he slept through a revolution. While he was peacefully snoring up in the mountains, a revolution was taking place in the world that would alter the face of human history. Yet Rip knew nothing about it. He was asleep. One of the great misfortunes of history is that too many individuals and institutions find themselves in a great period of change and yet fail to achieve the new attitudes and outlooks that the new situation demands. There is nothing more tragic than to sleep through a revolution. To consider King's point for today, we still do not have full equality for same-sex couples in this country. But if we were to rewind the clock back 20 years to 1993, we would see in that year the Department of Defense issuing its don't ask, don't tell policy. In 1993, we were still three years away from President Clinton signing the frankly offensive Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage as the legal union between one man and one woman for federal and interstate recognition purposes in the United States. This piece of legislation uh, has now been ruled unconstitutional in quite a few federal courts. I think it may be up to eight now. And, and the Supreme Court may well be ruling on it in 2013. What a different world 20 years can make. Similarly, the DREAM Act was originally introduced and really should have passed way back in 2001 when it had the good faith, honest support of President George W. Bush, who lobbied in good faith for its passage, unfortunately to no avail. The passage of time is no guarantee of progress, but positive social change can come with both time and hard, committed work. And if we want to avoid sleeping through the hopefully continuing revolution, I invite you to consider two of Martin Luther King Jr.'s recommendations that he made at that UU General Assembly in 1966. First, he said that we need a world perspective. We must live together as brothers and sisters, or we will perish together as fools. We need to listen to one another, help one another, and commit deeply to the truth that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For this reason, I'm grateful to be here with you this morning for this celebration. Second King said, to remain awake through this revolution, we must move out into the arena of social action. King believed that legislation matters. He said, it may be true that law cannot change hearts, but it can restrain the heartless. The law cannot make a man love me, but it can restrain him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important. And so while the law may not change the hearts of men, it does change their habits. And in coming years, happy, healthy, same-sex couples who also have all the same problems and struggles that heterosexual couples have will change us in our society. Indeed, they have already changed us for the better. And seeing the success of students who benefit from the DREAM Act will change us 
and our society. Those students will change us and our society. Again, I believe, for the better. And I'm grateful to celebrate these victories with you this morning. As we also look beyond this morning's celebration to the next steps we should take for greater, greater social justice in this world, I offer you these words of Dr. King from the end of his 1966 address to the UU General Assembly. He wrote, I have not despaired of the future. I believe firmly that we can solve our problems. I know that there are still difficult days ahead, and they are days of glorious opportunity. Our goal for America is freedom. Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up with America's. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. We will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony. May the victories we celebrate this morning embolden our ongoing work for peace, liberty, and justice for all. In that spirit, I'd like to invite you to hear again the words that I offered at the end of the sermon that I preached from this pulpit back in September on immigration justice. They're from a benediction called the Franciscan Blessing in this tradition of Francis of Assisi. They go like this. May you be blessed with discomfort. May you be blessed with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships that you may live deep within your heart. May you be blessed. May you be blessed with anger. Anger at injustice oppression and exploitation of people, that you may work for the economic justice of all people. May you be blessed. May you be blessed with tears, tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, hunger, homelessness, and rejection, that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may you be blessed. May you be blessed with foolishness, Enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world by doing what others say cannot be done. As we continue to discern how we are called individually and as a congregation and as a community to create social change, 